What would you do if you were placed in this situation? Can you imagine here we are, Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord, singing songs, and all of a sudden, government officials or a self-sanctioned mob enter into the children church area. They proceed to take all the kids into a van and drive them away. Well, in 2005, Christians in China did not need to imagine that because that's what happened. I'm not sure if it was during a Sunday school service or a weekly event that they had. But near the beginning of 2005, Chinese officials from the Public Security Bureau burst into a Sunday school room at a local church. They found 30 children inside of that room. They herded all of them into a van. And they took them to a police station. Upon arrival at the police station... The children were marched into an interrogation room where the Chinese officers told the children, if you want to be released, you must write this statement not one time, not ten times, but one hundred times. That statement, I do not believe in Jesus. One hundred times, you write that, kids, and we'll release you. This is a coin. You cannot see the description beneath it, but I'll let you know what it says. It says, Caesar Tiberius Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Underneath is a verse from Acts 17.7. These all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Folks, who do you fear? God or man? That is the question that is presented before us daily in our lives. It is the question that is actually presented before Pilate today. Read, read verse 8 with me. Notice what happens with Pilate. After he hears this title that Jesus claimed to be Son of God, when he heard that statement, he was even more afraid. Now, Pilate has a fear of Christ, but it only lasts a little bit of time. That fear of the ramifications of doing something to Jesus, knowing that Jesus is innocent, is drowned out by another fear. That is the fear of Caesar. That is the fear of the crowds. It is the fear of man. If you and I fear man and what man can do to us, we will disown God. But if you and I fear God, guess what? Man will never own us. 
Is Christ Lord or is man Lord? Is Caesar Lord? R.C. Sproul says that this question was there from the beginning at the incarnation of Christ. It was in the garden and it's today, isn't it? In our passage today, it was there for the early church and guess what? It's here for us too. When the, isn't it? Who are we going to fear? Who are we going to bow the knee to when the time comes? And believe me, that time is upon us, isn't it? We have a choice. Caesar represents the world, its governments, its value system, its idols. And for the most part, I want to be clear about this. You and I are to obey government as best as possible. We are to respect and honor man as best as possible. We are to strive to maintain law and order. We are to live peaceably. But when it comes down to it, we must not bow to man when our faith is in question. We can't. There's a choice for Pilate. It's a choice for us. If we claim Christ to be our king then we need to follow him to the end. We can learn from Pilate's choices. There are three keys. I I know if I were to ask every single person in here, who would you rather fear? You would all tell me God. I know that. That's what I want. But what happens when we're placed in that situation? There are three keys that we're going to see today that help us arrive there that I think can prepare us for our interactions with this world as we're constantly being told to bow the knee to someone other than Jesus. Three keys. The first one's very, very important. We have to implant something into our brains. That is, God is the only one with real, true authority over us and over the events of our lives Read with me verses 9 through 11. So Pilate then enters into the praetorium and he says to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gives him no answer. And Pilate said to him, you don't speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. I think I might have shared this illustration before, but it fits into this point here in this, these couple verses. Does anyone know who that is? If you guess it, I'll give you 50 cents. <laughs> Last time someone did something, I owed him five bucks, I think it was, or something like that. It's King, King Louis XIV. King Louis XIV. He actually preferred to be called something else. He actually preferred to be called Louis the Great. He was the, the monarch who declared this French statement, L'Etat c'est moi which actually means, I am the state. Declaring his rule, his authority, and his power over his people. 
His court was one of the most spectacular in all of Europe. And so was his funeral when he died in 1717. In order to dramatize this king's greatness, orders had been given that the cathedral would be very, very dimly lit with only one special candle that sat upon his golden coffin, signifying his greatness and his light for all of his subjects. Thousands of people attended and they waited in silence, all eyes watching the bishop proceeding over the service. Bishop Massilion began to speak, slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle and he said, only God is great. Only God is great. I don't know what happened to him after that. (laughs) You could only imagine. Only God is great. Jesus does what the bishop did for us and for Pilate. He reminds us of a truth. Only God is great. Only God has true authority. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that no matter what happens to you in your walk with Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that is outside the boundaries of God's sovereignty? Do you believe that? Because that is what we need implanted into our hearts, into our minds, as we walk through this earth as pilgrims, confessing Christ as Lord, and people like Pilate threaten us with their supposed power. Jesus sees the sovereign hand of God in everything that has taken place. And he says to Pilate, Pilate, you're wrong. You need an education on authority. You would have no authority over me, none whatsoever, unless it had been given to you. It is absolutely crucial for us As we go through this world, and there are people with power over us, yes, that power is granted by God and can be taken away by Him. Therefore, whatever happens to us underneath their authority is God's will for our life. As we confess Him, as we stand up for His truth, the sovereignty of God in the crucifixion of Christ and extends into the persecution of his people for you and me here today. The word authority here, it means a state of control over and the means to dispose with as one wishes. And Jesus says, guess what? I'm not in your hands. And everything that Pilate is doing is to fulfill God's plan for salvation and for his kingdom. And what is interesting here, there's another thing that stands out. God is sovereign, but men, men and women are still culpable for their actions, aren't they? 
How that all works out, I have no idea. We'll figure that out when we get to heaven. But he says something here. Jesus does not excuse Pilate at all. And that's encouraging for us. Because we need to understand that all the injustices that you and I will face as we profess Christ, as we follow Christ, whatever injustice may come upon us, those are going to be held into account one day. People are going to be held accountable for their actions against Christ and against His church, against His people. You you look in Revelation, and there's the martyrs underneath the table, and they're screaming, they're crying out for, for justice. And He says, wait a little while longer. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. See, the problem is, is, is we, look at, we look at people like Pilate or, or whoever it may be. We, we, we look at the, the masses in our world today and we actually think that they're in control. We have to get that out of our heads. Yes, we would be afraid if they truly are in control, but guess what? They're not. Whether it's your boss at work, whether it's your professor in your, your class, whether it's your teacher... Whoever it is does not possess true authority over you. Yes, they, they, they have authority, but all of that has been granted to them by God, which makes it easier for us to do exactly what Jesus says. Render to Caesar what is Caesar and render to God's what is God's. Don't, don't render to Caesar what belongs to God. And we can take that stand. Man is going to try to pressure you with threats of power. That's what Pilate does. Hey, don't you know? Don't you know I have the power? And Jesus is like, you're wrong, Pilate. Which actually kind of scares Pilate, I think, even more. When we're placed in that situation, this is a truth that we, we need to keep with us. It's a truth that's going to help us trust in God. A perfect example of an individual who was able to navigate living in a, in a land and actually gaining favor with the government and officials in that land while still maintaining their witness was who? Daniel. If you want a perfect example of what it looks like to live in Babylon... In captivity, look at the example of Daniel. It started, he gained favor with the guard over him, the prisoner guard, and then it worked all the way up to Nebuchadnezzar. But when the time came to it, what did he do? He stood for God. He didn't bow the knee. What, what get, got him through that? Think about the dreams that were happening during that time. Daniel knew who was in control. Man sees the kingdoms of this world as beautiful statues, bronze and gold and and wonderful metals and all beautiful. God sees the kingdoms of this world as what? Beasts. And Daniel saw the rock that is Jesus Christ that will crush every single last one of them. We all need to read the writing on the wall, don't we? The rulers, the leaders, the kingdoms of this world belong 
to one and only king, and Pilate is looking at him. Second key to this, so remember God's in control. Remember God has the ultimate authority over you. The second key is we have to resist the pressure of mob mentality, verses 9 through 16. I'm sorry, verses, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. Nope. Sorry, verses 12 through 16. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat, him down, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. There was a man who had a fine canary, whose song was unusually beautiful. He loved to just sit and listen to the song of the canary. However, during the summer, he kind of felt bad that the canary had to stay inside. So what he did was he moved his cage outside to a nearby tree. That way the bird can enjoy the sunshine and some fresh air, as well as the companionship of other birds. Many sparrows frequented that tree and were actually attracted to the cage. At first the canary was frightened, but soon after and enjoyed the company of his feathered friends. The sparrows, however, did not have a song like the canary. They all sounded the same. They would all just tweet and twitter. And the more time the canary spent outside, the owner noticed something strange happening. Gradually and almost imperceptibly, he lost the sweetness of his song. By the end of the summer, his singing was a little more like the twitter and the tweet. Of the sparrows. Folks, let me ask you something. Whose voice is prevailing in your life? Is it the voice of the crowds? Or is it the voice of God? Are you allowing the shouts of the crowd to drown out the song of the gospel? Pilate loses his voice at this point. If there was an inclination to release Jesus when the crowds threatened Pilate with animosity or opposition towards Caesar, Pilate gives in to the voice of the crowds. What's funny about this is 
these individuals actually don't like Caesar at all. They hate Caesar. The, the Jews hated Caesar over, over them. They wanted their own freedom. This is a tactic. They know exactly how to get to Pilate. And guess what? Satan knows exactly how to get to us. Satan knows the chants, the shouts, the accusations that are going to make us or try to make us bend to the will of the masses. And there's another interesting thing that comes out of this. Folks, supposed enemies will become friends if they have an enemy that is Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what is going on here. The two join forces. Why? They have a common enemy. Christ. Pilate actually knows at this point Jesus is not a threat to him. Jesus tells him that. He says, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. You don't have to worry. You don't got to worry, Pilate. You're fine. So Pilate knows, and what Pilate is doing is he is giving in to the pressures of the crowd because he is trying to preserve himself. That's what's happening. If he were to give, give in to his inclination to release Jesus Christ, well, we know that's not God's plan, but he would lose his job probably and maybe even his head if Caesar finds out. Pilate can't risk that. It's a politically motivated, spineless decision. Right now, the church of Jesus Christ is trying to be silenced, aren't we? Our voice is trying to be drowned out by the crowds, by what people are chanting. It's really interesting, this idea of groupthink or mob mentality Actually, some say come out of the, the 1984 novel by Orwell, uh, coming from the word double think. And here's what the definition is. It is a deterioration in mental efficiency, reality testing, so they don't know what's real, and moral judgments. Why? Because of group pressure. That's what's happening to Pilate. Pilate morally knows Jesus is innocent. If we have any doubt to that, he says it three times in the passage before. I find no guilt, I find no guilt, I find no... Really? Then why did you have him scourged? Why are you going to have him crucified? It is only because you are bending to the wishes of the mob. That's what happens. It's like this cartoon... We lose our voice because we're afraid of the repercussions. All these guys are like, this is a crazy idea. No, I don't like this idea at all. And they're all raising for who? For the boss. I, mean, I can't see that. Everyone in favor, raise your hand. And in their minds, they're saying this is the most ridiculous idea ever. That's what happens. We're afraid to make a stand because of the pressures of the group or because of, of the ramifications of what is going to happen. So we are either worshiping God or we are worshiping self or worshiping man. Notice what he says. that This is a choice that we are presented with all the time. We are either a friend of Caesar, we're either a friend of this world, or we are a friend of God. And if we're a friend of God, this world is going to try to get us to change our minds otherwise. They don't want you to talk. And they're going to threaten you. 
If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. If you oppose him, you oppose, you oppose the one that is feeding you. Pilate cannot afford that label, but it is one that is put before all of us. It can happen at our jobs. It can happen with our families. It can happen at school. It can happen in our public life with people. Hey, if you believe that, guess what? You're, you're not my friend. Hey, if you believe that, and they begin to make arguments that sound moral. What was interesting is, is, is looking this up, this idea of groupthink, there are so many different characteristics, but I wanted to highlight three of them because you definitely see three of them in this passage here. Number one is, is the attitude of the group are going to think they are invulnerable. And what it, it's called the illusion of invulnerability. Now, it can happen anywhere. Groupthink can happen in churches too. We can, we can blindly follow someone. You can blindly follow Kevin and I into your own doom and destruction, right? You can, well, just because we're all together, right? Let's just all jump off the cliff together. But, but what's interesting about this is this illusion of invulnerability can actually be conveyed to those who are outside the group. You and I can begin to think they're unstoppable. We can think they're invulnerable. What's crazy about this is in another account, Pilate actually tells them, he says to them, his blood is going to be upon your hands. And they say, let it be upon our hands and the hands of our children. They're not afraid. They're not afraid in the least bit. There is no fear of God. The second one you and I see today this is the belief that the group is inherently moral. What these people think they are doing, they think it is good and right. They think they are serving God by putting to death his son. And they are going to use phrases that make us feel like what we're saying and doing is morally wrong. Love is love. Can't argue against love, can you? Love is good. You can't say that love is wrong. If you say love is wrong, you're a hater. You're a bigot. So they're going to use words that make us feel like we are morally wrong for standing up for what we believe God says the truth is. It's hateful if you say that. Historically, this is an interesting argument. Historically, Christianity has been argued on its truth. So whether or not the reality of the crucifixion happened or the reality of the resurrection, this argument actually argues the moral fiber of Christianity. So if it is true, it's wrong because of what it says. It's a new argument. Not really new, but for us, it's a, it's a change of the argument. So I'm arguing that it's true and they're arguing, well, if it's true, it's morally wrong because of the truth 
that Christ promotes. And that's different for us. The third one, we definitely see it all the time, direct pressure on dissenters, right? If you dissent with what the group is thinking, then we're going to put pressure on you to change. We have to understand the tactics. We have to understand the pressure. We have to see what's happening. And we have to let God be our voice. It's not our voice, is it? It's His voice. He reminds them in Matthew, when they arrest you, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father through you. Trust in Him. Resist the pressure of the crowds. And allow Him to speak through you, and He will give you the words to say. Third and final key is live out your confession. If you say Jesus Christ is King, follow Him to the cross. Make your confession an actuality, unlike what Pilate does here. 17 through 22. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate does something interesting here. Whether he believed it or not, I think the motivation was mixed for Pilate. One of, them, one of the motivations for writing that statement was to upset the Jews, undoubtedly. But if he truly, truly believed it, it's an empty confession, isn't it? What? Okay. So you wrote it. Do you really believe it? Because if you believed it, if you believe he's your king, then why aren't you trying harder to release him? If you believe he's your king, then why aren't you, why are you worried about what the people or even Caesar is going to think? Folks, we can come to church every Sunday. We can be faithful in our Bible studies our small groups. We can sing praises that Jesus is King and Lord. But if we don't live it out, I'm not quite sure what message we're saying. This is where following Jesus leads. It leads to the crucifixion. 
Jesus says it himself, doesn't he? If you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. You have to deny yourself. You have to do it no matter what the, cro- no matter what the cost is. Christianity is a commitment. It is a commitment to follow Jesus no matter what happens to us. I hope that this church truly realizes that. I hope that I realize that. What Pilate does here is politically and selfishly motivated. He wanted to preserve himself. Jesus gives himself on our behalf. The phrase, he went out bearing his own cross, is interesting, isn't it? Was it his cross? Who did it belong to? It belonged to us. And there he is, identifying with sinners, isn't he? In between two transgressors, willing to bear the shame willing to bear the humiliation, willing to bear the mockery, willing to bear the pain for you and for me. Jesus identified with us. The question is, will we identify with him? In Hebrews, he says, let us go then, Go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. When the time comes, are you willing to follow him? Maybe it's it's bearing the shame of knowing him with your friends at school. Maybe it's with your neighbors. Maybe it's at work. It could be anywhere. Every day we're faced with this choice. Are we going to bow the knee to man or are we going to identify with Jesus Christ? We cannot be ashamed of the cross. We cannot be ashamed of him. We cannot be ashamed of his truth. He wasn't ashamed of you at all. People like Pilate should drive us crazy. People like Pilate should make us mad. We cannot live a life of nominal Christianity. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be the church of Jesus Christ on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and for the rest of the week. The praises that we sing in this building here need to be sung out there. The confessions that we make here need to be made before men. The truth that Jesus teaches here for us needs to be a truth that we need to declare out there in this world. Paul actually takes what is happening here in this circumstance 
and he uses it as a motivator for young Timothy. Listen to what he says to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, in which you made the good confession. Live it out. Live out that confession that you made in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is what? Blessed and only sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords. What What Paul includes in that short verse is everything we need to know. It's a fight. It's a fight, folks. It is going to be a battle. Therefore, you need perseverance. We need perseverance. We need to hold on to the confession that we made, and we need to live that out every single day. And notice, who is the one that gives life? It's God. Can they take our life? Absolutely. Are they going to take your eternal life? No, they're not. You remember that. God is the one who gives real life. The, the world is, cannot give you the life that God can give you. The life that the world gives you is going to end. It's going to end in despair and hopelessness. And he brings up this situation. What was the good confession that Jesus made? Well, a lot of commentators kind of disagree on it, but undoubtedly, it has to do with the fact that Jesus says to Pilate, yes, I'm a king. Yes, and he deals with what? The consequences afterwards. He, he makes the confession, and he, he knows what's going to happen afterwards. And how does Paul end this? It's exactly where we started. Who's in control? God's in control. He's sovereign over all. It is a confession that requires the death of ourselves. The denial of ourselves. The denials of the comforts of this world. The denials of popularity. The denials of acceptance into the groups of this world bearing the shame of Jesus Christ, and if so, giving our lives for that. I spoke to Rita Weimer this, uh, the other day, yesterday. She said something I just wanted to share. We were talking about faith and talking about Jesus Christ, and she said something to this effect. He has treated me well. He's treated me well. I think we can all say that, right? He's treated us well. Polycarp actually said that before he was martyred. Something to that effect. He, he's, never disown, he's never hurt me. Why would I disown him? Good confession. Men, women, and children alike. 
I intentionally didn't tell you what happened to the children so that you would pay attention for the entire sermon. So that now, how many people are wondering what happened to our our children? Okay, you want to know? All right, that'll cost you. So there was actually something that I did not share with you. While they were in the van being taken to the police station, one kid started to sing. Soon after, the entire van was filled with children singing praises to Jesus Christ. The singing continued as they marched them into the... I didn't think I was going to cry. I cried like three times during the practice. The singing continued as they marched them into the interrogation room. When told to write, I do not believe in Jesus, that's what they wrote instead. I believe in Jesus today. I will believe in Jesus tomorrow. I will believe in Jesus forever. Who'd they fear? Not man. And man didn't own them. The officers got frustrated, and eventually they were all released. Who do you fear? God or man? As we could say in this case, we definitely need faith like those children. Father, Lord, thank you first and foremost for Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Thank you for his good confession. And Lord, we have confessed, confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. But Lord, we know we are, we're frail. We're sinners and we're weak. And when pressure comes, sometimes we succumb to that pressure. I pray for each one here, whatever pressures we face this week to deny Christ or to compromise with this world, I pray that we are strengthened by your Holy Spirit so when tested we will not fail. Lord, thank you for these children who did not know what they were going to face but loved you and feared you instead. Help us to all have faith like that. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.